Hey guys, Pastor Marcus here. Welcome to the Pomo Pastor Podcast, where our focus is going to be how to optimize your local Adventist church. I hope you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey guys, it's Marcus here, and today I want to answer a really simple question. Why are Adventist churches stuck? Local Adventist churches, obviously. Why are they stuck? Now, if you follow this blog, you know that for the most part, I share lots of practical tips on why local Adventist churches are failing, what are the reasons that they're not thriving, they're not succeeding. However, there's a few things that we need to address that are still practical, but a bit more to do with what's going on in here. And that's what I want to talk about today. Why are Adventist churches stuck? Is there something that's going on in here? Not necessarily practical stuff like, uh, you know, leadership structures or anything like that, but something that's going on in here that is keeping our churches stuck. And I believe that there is. Now, here's the thing. Adventism has a weakness. Now, it's, it, I'm not talking, when I say Adventism in, in today's post, I'm not talking about our theological narrative, all right? And I'm not talking about our history either. I'm talking about our culture, our mindset, where we are mentally as a people. We have a weakness, and that weakness keeps us stuck. That weakness is the number one thing that I've observed that prevents us from making any real meaningful difference in the local areas that we find ourselves in. Now, what is that weakness? Before I tell you, I want to share a story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I believe that weakness is in a few minutes. But um, in the book of Matthew chapter 15, there is a parable that Jesus tells where he talks about a, a group of servants that are given a sum of money. So this rich guy, he's going away and he gives, you know, he calls three servants, he gives them all a sum of money and then he goes. Now I'm just summarizing the story here. He comes back and two of the servants have invested the sum of money that he gave them and it has doubled. But one of the servants didn't invest anything. In fact, he hid the money, all right? He hid the money. Now here is what the servant says in his defense when the wealthy guy confronts him. Here's what he says. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Now, I want you to pay attention to his words, okay? I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, I want you to pay really close attention. I want you to think about what this guy is saying. Notice that every single word that he speaks drips with pessimism and negativity and, 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 and doubt. I mean, every single, he doesn't say anything positive. He doesn't say anything uh, beautiful. Every word he says is dark and negative and, 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 and downcast. And so, what we begin to observe when we look at this guy's words is that he's got a particular way of seeing the world. He's got a particular mindset. Instead of opportunity, he sees danger. Instead of, you know, the chance to do something amazing, he sees a threat. Instead of, uh, you know, this, this, this open door for, for, for a new tomorrow, he sees a hazard. And so he acts accordingly rather than doing something amazing with this opportunity he's been given. He decides to play it safe 
and he hides the money instead. Now, you guys probably know the story. The servant's master is furious. He takes the money that he gave him, gives it to the one who made the most, and he kicks the guy out, right? But here's the thing. When I think about this servant and when I think about him playing it safe and about his attitude and the way in which he looks at every opportunity and instead of seeing positivity, he sees negativity everywhere. It reminds me so much of so many local Adventist churches that I've been in. It's like there's this psychological predisposition to look at the negative in every situation to look at the downside of every upside, to look at the hazard, the danger, the deception, the, the, the delusion in absolutely everything that comes our way. And here's what I've discovered is the number one weakness in the Adventist culture, in the Adventist mind. And again, I'm not talking about our theology here. I'm not talking about our heritage. I'm just talking about contemporary. So sort of where we are in our mindset, what I encounter when I go to different churches that are stuck and I speak to people, what I find is people who have an obsession with the negative. They have an obsession with what is wrong, with what is dangerous, with what is you know deceptive, with, with that type of thing. And so what I've come to refer to it as is that we have a beware consciousness, all right? A beware consciousness. Beware is like our war cry. Beware is our modus operandi. Beware is our psychological uh, starting point. It's our default. Everything is beware, beware this, beware that, beware the other. And what happens when you obsess with beware is that you create a culture of, of fear and fear creates limits. And so if, if, if everything is beware this, beware that, beware the other, you've created this culture of limitation. You've created this culture where people cannot progress, people cannot push, people cannot expand because they're afraid. They're afraid of every beware that's being thrown at them day in and day out. So how do we turn this around, right? That, that's the magic question. How do we turn this around? And, and the way we turn it around is actually really simple. We have to switch from a beware mindset to a behold mindset. From a beware consciousness to a behold consciousness. When you beware, it's all about the negative. It's all about caution. It's all about suspicion. It's all about fear. When you behold, it's all about adventure and it's all about opportunity and it's all about expanding and it's all about beautiful risk for the kingdom of God. When you behold, what is it that we should be beholding? We should behold Jesus. In every opportunity, we should see him. We should see his kingdom. We should see his promises. We should see his, his power. We should see his beauty. We should see his gospel. That is beholding versus bewaring, if that's even a word. We have to behold Jesus. We have to behold his beauty. We have to behold his character. We have to behold his message, his story. That needs to be our central focus. Now look, don't misunderstand me, okay? I know that people are gonna look at this and say, ah, blah, 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 you know, we have to warn the world. Yes, I believe in warning the world, okay? So before any of you misquote me, <laughs> I believe in warning the world, especially in these last days, we have a warning message to the world. But here's the thing. A warning message is meaningless if it's not rooted in hope. What's the point of warning the world about evil if I don't have a hope to offer? And that's the problem. We become so obsessed with beware 
that we are not calling people to behold Jesus. We're just talking about beware, conspiracy theory here and conspiracy theory there and danger here and danger there. And we've created a culture of fear that limits our mission because fear creates limits. But when we invite people to behold Jesus, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. That is to be our mindset. That is to be our consciousness, a consciousness of beholding Jesus beholding his story, beholding his beauty. And if we have a culture of behold, what is that going to do? A culture of behold is going to become a culture of people, a group of people who have no limits because faith destroys limits. Faith demolishes limits. And that's what we need. I remember years ago, I was watching uh, John Bradshaw preach and he said something I never forgot. He said, some people are so obsessed with the coming crisis that they forget about the coming Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about the coming crisis. Should we talk about it? Absolutely. Is it relevant? Of course. But that's not the foundation. That's not the focus. It's all about the coming Christ. And if we focus on him, and if we behold him, we are promised that by beholding, we will be changed. So I want to invite you today, behold Jesus in your local church, behold Jesus in your personal life, behold Jesus in everything, replace your beware mindset with the mindset of beholding Jesus and lifting him up before the world. If we do that, the natural outflow and transformation of our local churches will be amazing because everywhere that Jesus is lifted up, life begins to flow. Thank you guys for hanging out. I want to invite you to subscribe below, like this video, share it if you enjoyed it or podcast, if that's what you're listening to, and I'll catch you guys next week. Well, that's all I've got time for today. But if you want some more, just come hang out at pomopastor.com. Thanks again for spending some time listening to the podcast. I'll catch you on the next one.